0: ever seen like a movie where they have like old-time like firemen and like they have like just picture with me for a second right this big building it's on fire someone's like at the top like screaming like help like trying to get off and they can't and the whole building is just like ablaze and they can't go down the stairs and the firemen roll up have you ever seen that big like old-timey thing that look like a big trampoline that they don't like hold and like like stand at the bottom of the building and be like right here like jump and they're like yeah right i'm not doing that are you crazy like have you ever seen that like two of you. All right. Well, that well, watch old movies cuz you'll see it. And it's this crazy big it looks like a trampoline, but it's kind of like a net trampoline thing or else they would just hit it and bounce off really far, but it like is designed to catch people when they jump off high things. And so like I'm thinking about this and I'm I'm I was actually watching a movie this week that had that. And I'm thinking how ridiculous that seemed like if I was standing on the side of this building and there's flames everywhere, yeah, I'd want to get off. But I would feel like jumping would be a worse option. You're like, I'm going to just die if I jump down off this building that's crazy. And they're down at the bottom and they're just going, jump, jump, right? You almost think like you guys must be insane to think that I would listen to you right now. Or that I would take that, that kind of advice because I have to be willing to basically put my life in my own hands if, I, if I'm to just like fly off the side of that thing right? Imagine how scary that would be to jump. And, and then the feeling of free falling until like you're just praying the whole way down, like, please God, let me hit that thing and not like the ground next to it. There's this release that has to happen, basically like a surrender to just be like, all right, like, I'm just going to trust. and I'm just going to jump and just trust. And in that air, in the air as you're falling, you're basically just trusting. You're surrendering like all of your control hoping that at the bottom, there will be people that know what they're doing, that that thing is going to hold, that the the trampoline thingamajig won't like rip and break, and you just go through it and hit the ground. There's a lot of trust and surrender involved in that scenario, right? But I, I think a lot of people would have a really hard time making the jump for a couple reasons, right? Like, you always see in in those movies, you always see people being like, hold on a second. Like, I got to run back and get Fido. He's still inside. And they come back and they get, like, their dog under one arm. And they're like, wait, hold on one more second. And they run back and they get, like, their PlayStation. And they're like, okay, now I got, oh, wait, I forgot my computer. And they just keep going back in until it's too late, right? Because there's so much stuff they want to save and rescue. Their things are so important to them that they won't just take the jump and do the thing that makes them most safe. Instead, they're like running back in for all this other stuff that can just be bought again. Maybe not Fido, right? But like their life is so much more valuable than stuff. And then you have another type of person who probably would just stand on the edge and just think so long that they just don't jump until it's too late because they're too scared to take that actual jump off the side. It's a scenario that, like, nobody wants to be in. Like, hopefully none of us will ever have to experience that. That would just be terrible. But unfortunately, spiritually, all of us are in that scenario. Like, you have to face it. You have to experience it. That is part of life because we're born broken people, spiritually broken. And so essentially we're standing on top of a burning building, a life that is crumbling, it's on fire. We're headed to a place of punishment and there's no way for us to rescue ourselves. There's no back hallway. There's no fire escape. That's working. There's flames everywhere. And we're standing on a life that is literally collapsing under our feet. And then we look over the side and luckily there's someone at the bottom And he's going, come on, jump, take the jump. I'm going to catch you. I'm right here. I can catch you. I'll do it. You can trust me. And as Jesus is doing that for each of us, right, as the Holy Spirit's yelling out, trust him, jump, Jesus has you. Which person are you? Which one of those two people are you? The one that is too busy running back in for stuff? Or the one that's still standing on the side? right on the edge, and just won't do it because you just can't give up that control and trust to be caught. But for all of us, no matter who you are, there's a Savior down there. He's there, and he's waiting, and he's calling out to you, like, I'll catch you. I've got this. Will you jump out of that destructive life that you're in? It's crumbling. Jump, and let me catch you. Let me see some of us don't even know our life's on fire some of us are still sitting in the room playing video games in the room of our life right and we're just like oblivious to the fact that your life is on fire you need a savior but there's some of us that don't even recognize that we think everything's okay like we're we're oblivious to the fact that we need to be caught And we're going to look up, and it's going to be too late, and the fire is going to be all around us, and there's not going to be a way out. And so we're still walking through the book of Hebrews together. We're in chapter 3 now. And tonight we're looking at verses 7 to 12. And the author of Hebrews is bringing up the very subject we're talking about. He's saying, you need a rescuer. He's already talked to us how Jesus is better than everything. He's talked to us about how Jesus is the perfect Savior. And now he's saying, some of you don't even know you need him. He could be the greatest Savior out there. He could be the the most wonderful person, the most powerful, amazing being in all creation. And you're oblivious to it. You can't even see him. You're blind to it. You don't even know you need him, but he's right here. So read with me. We're in Hebrews 3. We're going to read verses 7 to 12. It says this. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years, they saw what I did. That's what I was angry with. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. This is a warning. This author is literally screaming out to people that need to hear this, that God loves them, that God wants to rescue them, and that they need it. They need a savior. So many people today feel so, I guess the word is okay. I'm just okay. I'm doing fine. I don't need anyone else. I have everything that I need. I'm comfortable. I'm okay. This author wants you to know, if you don't know Jesus, you're not okay. Your life isn't, the life you're imagining in your head, it's actually on fire and it's crumbling below you, but you don't notice it yet. And so this passage was written to people of this time to say, listen, you need to wake up. You need to see where you're actually standing and that your footing's going and that you need a savior. But the good news, hold on, the good news is that he's down there and he's got his arms out and he's like, jump, I'm gonna catch you. So look at verse 7. He says, so as the Holy Spirit says, I, I love that he points something out to us, that he's quoting Psalm 95, 7 to 11, like he's quoting the Psalms. He could have said like King David said this, but you know what he says? He says, the Holy Spirit says this. He's reminding of something really important. The whole Bible was written by God. He used men to write it, to take their hand and write it down or spread the word. But it was the Holy Spirit, God, who was giving us these messages. And this prophecy that we're reading literally came from God's lips. This is God speaking to us. Here's why that's important to me tonight. Because every time we open up God's word, you know what we're hearing? God. Like he's speaking to us right now as we read this. There might be some people in the room who's like, hey, where is God? Why doesn't he just come down here and talk to us? Why didn't he just show himself to us? He is. Every time we read what he wrote, it's his voice. His Holy Spirit is speaking it to us. We're hearing a message that's from him to us. Do you recognize that every time you hear a pastor preaching or or read the Bible for yourself or sit in a Bible study? Are you thinking this is God literally speaking through his word, the Bible? You're not just reading some old book that might bore you, some old literature, some stories that are from forever ago. You're hearing the voice of God say this to your heart. So tonight, as we keep walking through God's word, will you take that mindset? Will you say, God, what are you, what are you telling me right now? Because you're hearing his voice as we read this. Will you listen? So he's quoting Psalm 95, right? And what he's doing here is he's telling us something really important. Listen to this first word. He says, today. And you're like, why is that that such a big deal? It's just a common word. He's stressing the urgency of your situation. That word today really is being used to say right now. Like you can't keep putting this off. So many people were like, man, I heard the truth. I heard this, my friend told me about Jesus or I heard this pastor and he was like talking about Jesus or I saw something on Instagram and it was." And we're like, yeah, but it's cool, like I'll deal with that later. And God's like, how do you know you have later? How do you know there's a later for you? How do you know there's a tomorrow for you? You need to deal with this today. He's speaking with urgency to say, why are you waiting? God's voice is speaking to you right now. Why wouldn't you perk up and listen with your ears and say, God, what is it you're telling me right this moment and what can I do right now to respond to you? I mean, when you hear the voice of the creator, God, does that not get you to perk up? does that not grab your attention that the God of the universe is speaking to you? So many people, it doesn't. And so the author of this book saying right now, stop putting it off. You need to hear this. You might've heard of an old guy named Dwight Moody. He was a famous old pastor. And uh, in October 8th, 1971, he preached this, this kind of revival in Chicago (laughs) And as he was preaching to this massive audience of people, lots of people were receiving Jesus and, and others, others were just kind of thinking about it. And so at, at the end of this thing, here's how he ends it. He says, listen, we're going to wait a week. Next week, we're going to meet right back here and we're going to pick right back up where we started. And he said, then we're going to talk about this and give you a chance to respond and to receive Jesus as your savior. And you take this week and you think and you pray and you come back and and then we're gonna talk again. Well, that week was the same week as this massive fire in Chicago. Burned tons of the city and lots and lots of people died in these fires. Lots of people that were sitting there in that service that night who hadn't responded to Jesus yet. The same people that he said, take a week and think about it. Those same people left and died in that fire. And so this preacher, Dwight Moody, finds this out and is is just brokenhearted, and he writes something down. He says it's one of his biggest regrets was not asking them, not giving them the chance in that moment to make a decision right then for Jesus. We don't know we're going to have tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen or where you're going to be, but We're told by the Holy Spirit, by God himself right here, when you hear the gospel, respond. Like now. Don't wait because this could be the chance he's giving you to respond to his grace. And you don't know if tomorrow's gonna be there. And he says, so today, if you hear his voice, how beautiful to hear God's voice. For God to be speaking to you words like, I love you. I know you're hurting. I know you've messed up. I know you feel shame. I know you feel guilt. I know you have a list of reasons why you think you shouldn't be close to me. But I love you and I forgive you. And I don't look at you with eyes of shame. Instead, I died on a cross for you. What a beautiful voice. It's not judgmental. It's not screaming in our face, but it is telling us urgently we need a savior. It's the same voice that you hear over the edge of that burning building that's got his hands up in the air saying, jump. Jump. Trust me right now. Don't go back in for your stuff. Don't wait. Don't count to 10 and work up the courage. Just jump and trust me tonight because you don't know how long you have and I'm right here, right now, ready to save you. What a beautiful voice. If you hear the voice, he says, do not harden your hearts. And Paul teaches us in 1 Timothy 4.2, that men can go against their conscience, right? Like we know right or wrong. And every time we do that, he says, he uses the word sear. We sear that our conscience. In other words, we like burn it. We make it numb to where we can't feel right or wrong anymore. We can't hear the voice of the Lord because we've just ignored him so many times. When I, a, when I was a little kid, my dad and I were working on this, this like go-kart dune buggy thing and it had this big metal roll cage we were building for it. And I was just pumped. I got to work with my dad. It was a lot of fun. And he was letting me do some welding, which was like, I was just a little guy. I was in elementary school, but my dad loved to teach me stuff. So I'm, I'm doing some welding with him and then he takes over and he puts these metal bars we had just melded, uh, welded on the ground. And he gives me this little hammer. He says, like, hit the, hit the parts that we welded. And you need to knock off the extra metal so it's nice and clean. He shows me how to do it. So I go, I sit down on the floor as he's, like, welding. And I'm just hitting, doing my little task that he gave me, you know. And I'm all proud of my work. I'm like, this looks so good, you know. And I go to get up. And as I get up, I have to kind of brace myself because I'm sitting just, like, on my butt on the ground on this cement floor. And so I push my hands down to push myself up and realize I put my hand right down on that where I had just welded the metal together. And as I put my hand on it, it just like seared my hand. This word describes very well, like what happened. And at first I, I didn't really know, but it was taking me a minute to get up. So my hand just stayed there, pushing myself up, pushing harder and harder on that hot metal. And after a second, I stood up, I started to walk. I started to feel this throbbing. And then this just like cutting burn in my hand. I look down and I just see the line across my hand. I still have the scar today. Which hand was it? It's this one. I still have the scar on my hand where I put my hand in that metal. And I just, I couldn't even breathe. It hurt so bad. And I just grabbed my hand like this and stood there and couldn't breathe. I'm turning red. And my dad sees me and runs over to me and grabs me and brushes me off to the hospital. It was like this whole thing. And then it hurt a lot. <laughs> but what I realized as it started to heal is like there's this part of my hand you can touch right here and I just, I can't feel it. Just this little piece, like I I don't have feeling here. It just seared that part of my hand, it killed the nerves. And, And what he's talking about here, Paul's telling us as you keep saying no to Jesus and no to God and the Holy Spirit's talking to you and he's like, listen, you need me. And you're like, nah, I'm good. I'm just gonna go over here and keep doing life this way. What you're doing is you're searing your conscience. One day you look up and you're like, you don't even feel the, the conviction anymore. You're just so lost in your own self and in the world and your own sin that it's hard to even see the way out. And when the actual conviction comes, your conscience is just seared. First Timothy 4.2 says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Don't keep saying no to Jesus. Don't keep putting Jesus off. If he's speaking to you, listen to this author who says, today, right now, respond. Don't harden your heart. Don't sear your conscience so you can't even hear his voice anymore. And he says this. He says, as you did, he's, he's going to now kind of draw this picture for us so we understand. And he's talking about the Old Testament where the Israelites were in the wilderness. He says, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Exodus 17, right? And so we're able to go back and look and say like, what did they do in the wilderness? Well, they got freed from slavery and they go out there and all of a sudden they're like, all right, well, where's the promised land? And by the way, we're hungry. And by the way, we're thirsty. And by the way, Moses, like what's going on? Why are we still out here? Where's God? Doesn't he even care? Why did he free us from Egypt in the first place? If we're just gonna die in a desert, And they start to grumble and complain and throw insults at God and doubt his even love for them. And so listen what God says back. He says, says, were your ancestors tested and tried me? Though for 40 years, they saw what I did. They thought God was testing them. And hear what God says? He's like, they were testing me, my patience by doing this because what had I just done? They saw what I did in Egypt. They saw all these miracles that I did. They saw the plagues. They saw me split the ocean in half so they could walk through it. And now they're going, God, are you even real? And God's like, what on earth did you even see back there? How many times has God shown up in our lives? And I'm talking to believers tonight. God's shown up in your life and he's done something that should blow your mind, and you've seen him be faithful. And then the next challenge comes, and what do we do? Immediately we go, God, where are you? Don't you even care what I'm going through right now? Don't you feel my pain and know what my family's dealing with? Like, are you just going to leave me like this? Instead of looking back, looking back at the 40 years, looking back at all the things that God's done for you and the times that he's been faithful and that he's shown up and that he's flexed his muscles and said, I'm God. You can trust me. Once again, he's standing off the side of that building going, just jump. Just surrender. And you're holding on. You're like, God, I can't give you my future. I can't like dedicate my life to full-time ministry. I can't follow you to the mission field. I can't whatever your thing is, right, that scares you. And he's like, why not? I'm right here, I could catch you. Haven't you seen what I've done? Don't you know who I am? So why not jump? Why not just trust me? Matthew 4, 7. says, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus gives us warning, right? Don't test God. But that's exactly what these people are doing. And so he's looking here at at these Hebrews and he's saying, listen, y'all, what God said, he'll do. So instead of putting up a fleece and saying, God, prove it to me, just say, all right, I've seen you do it before. I'm trusting you to do it again. It's funny, though, because our hearts are weird. Like, I was at a concession stand back when they would do, like, upper basketball over here, and um, they had a little concession stand. They had, like, hot dogs and, like, all sorts of nice little stuff. You could buy it for fundraisers. And I'm buying my hot dog, you know, because I'm going to watch a game. Hot dog. Do I say that weird? Hot dog. I say hot dog. Hot dog. And so I get my hot dog. <laughs> no, I can't even say it. And uh, I'm eating it, and there's this little kid. Like, this dad walks up, and he's holding him in one of these, like, in this arm, and he's getting his stuff with this arm. And the little kid gets to point at what he wants, and he wants popcorn. I say popcorn, too. I'm weird. All right, so anyway, he gets his popcorn, <laughs> and he's sitting there and starts eating it, and then all of a sudden, he sees my hot dog come out, and he looks over at me, and he makes this little, like, this little face that gives me some side eye, like, it's one of those, he's like, I'm like, whoa, like, there's a lot of, like, like, spunkiness coming out of this little guy, and I'm taking a bite of my hot dog, and he's looking at me, like, and uh, he looks at his dad. I knew it would happen, too, and he's like starts screaming and pointing at me. He's like, I want a hot dog, you know? And like, you know, he didn't want the popcorn anymore. He was done with the popcorn. He like threw it on the ground and starts waving his hands in the air. I'm like, wow, glad that's not my kid, you know? <laughs> like one of those. And, but I realized something. I'm like, he's not really doing anything anyone else wouldn't do. And it's sad, but like, it's true. We want what we have until all of a sudden there's something better that comes along. And then we're like, oh, now I need that. Oh, now I need that. And it's hard to to really see what we need, right? And there comes a point where we need to trust that there's someone who knows what we actually need, who's not blinded by the junk of the world, as shiny, as enticing as it might be, but there's a truth that we can find, and it's right here, and we're reading it tonight. And whether we believe it or not, it's true. And it tells us what we actually need. So when our heart wants to run off on all these other things and has a hard time looking at God and just saying, thank you for what you've given me. Let me just follow you with my whole life. Instead, we go, God, why don't I have this? And why haven't you fixed that like that little kid? Instead, you just say, God, whatever you want for me, I'm following. you. Take me wherever you want me to go. I'm there. You know why? Because I can trust you. I know you want what's best for me, and I'm going to go with that. He says this next. He says, that's why I was angry with that generation. (laughs) I said their hearts are always going astray and they've not known my ways. How's your heart tonight? Is it always going astray? As hard as you try. as you want to follow Jesus, you keep finding yourself chasing the world and chasing sin and going the wrong way. Maybe tonight's your night. You stop acting. Just take the mask off. Maybe tonight you look up at Jesus and you say, I'm jumping. You better be ready to catch me because here I come. Tired of my heart taking off in its own direction. I want you So I'm surrendering it all. Jumping off into your arms, catch me. These people, man, it's disgusting what they were doing. When he says their hearts were going astray, like God said, hey, when you get into Canaan, you need to take care of business. But they didn't take care of business. They let these people keep like living among them and doing these these horrible things. Like Canaanites were so evil that they would take newborn babies that they had and put them in these clay jars and they would bury them alive in the walls of their buildings as they were building them. They thought the gods would bless them if they buried their babies alive inside the walls. You'd hear the baby screaming until eventually it turns to a whisper and it just disappears. These are sick people. The Jews, they weren't. They weren't willing to go, "God, I'm following you all the way." And they started to make alliances with the world. What alliances does your heart have with the world that need to be broken tonight? Because it keeps pulling you back? And you keep saying, why can't I just follow Jesus? I keep trying, but I keep getting pulled away. Maybe you need to cut some alliances tonight. Maybe you need to look and just say like, what things in my life need to be, they need to be taken care of, given up, so that I could just look at Jesus and jump completely and freely into his arms without all these other things anchoring me down and pulling me away. What thing are you not willing to give up tonight? What friendship do you know is destroying your walk with Jesus? You get around that person and they influence you and they talk certain talk and and do certain things. And it's just so enticing to you that you eventually follow. Maybe that friendship tonight needs to be cut. Maybe those influences need to stop. It's not about your courage. It's just about you being willing to say yes to Jesus. And so in verse 12, the author says, see to it. This is a warning. Listen, this is the warning. See to it. And he says, brothers and sisters. Now, listen, every time he's talked to Christians, he's called them holy brothers and sisters. So now he's just talking to unbelieving Jews here. Brothers and sisters, you're my Jewish brothers and sisters, but you're not saved. He says, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. They knew the truth. They're right there. They're watching God do amazing things. They're part of this people that's seen God's faithfulness. They knew the truth. So he warns them. He says, see to it because you know the truth. Don't close your heart off. (laughs) The greatest evil in the world is unbelief because it keeps you from God. There's nothing more evil than the thing that keeps you from your creator. And that one thing, the one thing that can do that. It's not your worst sin. It's your unbelief. It's not looking at him and saying, here you go, take it all. Here you go, I'm jumping off the edge. <laughs> I'm going to soar through that air, give up all control, and land in your arms and just simply trust you. He says, be careful that you don't turn away from the living God. Your God is not some quiet, voiceless thing, some religious ceremony. He's alive, and he's chasing you down. And tonight as we hear his word, his voice is literally speaking to you. The Holy Spirit is in this room right now. I don't know exactly what he's telling you, but I know you need to listen. And as he speaks, will you be ready to come up to the edge, to look over the side, and whatever that means for you, you say, Jesus, here I come. I'm saying yes tonight. Whether that means salvation, because I've never trusted you to save me and forgive me of my sin. Whether that means baptism, because I need to take that first step of obedience and let people know I'm not ashamed of you. Maybe for you, it's I need to surrender to ministry. I need to serve you. I need to say yes, because I know you're calling. Maybe tonight it's simply, I need to give up all this junk that's distracting my heart. And I need to just trust you and just fall in your arms and say, Jesus, my life is now all about you. you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a second? The band's coming up, and they're going to lead us in some more songs. And as they do, would you just just pause for a moment as they're getting ready and just pray and say, Lord, would you just show me what it is you want to say to me tonight? Would you make me very aware that your voice is speaking? Would you convict my heart in a way that wakes me up? Don't let me sear my conscience here, God. Give me the courage to say yes, to fully say yes to you.